Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. The next message in our sexual purity series is called Set Apart, Entering the Kingdom of God. John walks us through a challenging topic and a challenging passage today. And with it, we see the path forward on how and why God wants to set folks apart and what that means in every aspect of our lives. Here's John with Set Apart, Entering the Kingdom of God, Part 1. Okay, so if you have the scriptures with you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to come back this week and we're going to finish verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And just to refresh you, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Last time in verses 9 and 10, we saw that Paul is taking up the theme of the kingdom of God in verses 9 through 11. And he's taking this theme of the kingdom of God and he's applying it to the problem of sexual immorality and unjust lawsuits in the church. The Corinthians, we saw in the context, were arrogantly opposed to the sound teaching that accords with the gospel. And you see that back in chapter 5, verse 2, where Paul says, you are arrogant. The Corinthians didn't know the centrality of the gospel and its ethical implications for the church being the church. And so what the Apostle Paul does is he reminds the Corinthian believers of a basic fact concerning the kingdom of God in verses 9 through 11. And this is the basic fact in the form of a question, which is really a rebuke. And he asks the Corinthians in verse 9, and here's the first point, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is the basic fact of the kingdom of God. The unrighteous will not inherit it. And so in verses 9 and 10, what Paul does is he begins by issuing this chilling warning, and he says that in the consummation of God's kingdom, the serially unrighteous, who are not characterized by repentance, they will not be there. The unrighteous who are serially unrepentant will not be in the consummation of God's kingdom. And he says this twice in verse 9, he says, Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And in verse 10, he says, again, he says, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's driving home this powerful warning that we're to take very seriously. He says, there are some professing believers in the church who are not going to be in the consummation of the kingdom. And so he provides an illustrative list of serial unrepentant sins that leads to exclusion from the kingdom of God in verses 9 and 10. And we went through that whole list, so we're not going to go back through it. But here was the point. The point that he's making in verses 9 and 10 is this, is that because unrighteousness will not characterize the consummation of God's kingdom, it is not to be tolerated and characterized in the church today. The ethics of the kingdom yet to come determines the morals of the kingdom that already now is in the church. The kingdom is already but not yet. 
and the not yet aspect, morality and ethics of the kingdom to come in the future determines how the church is to live ethically now. And so what Paul was seeking to do in verses 9 and 10 is he was seeking to humble the Corinthians. They were marked by arrogance. They were marked by pride. They were marked by self-will, self-gratification, self-indulgence. And so Paul is reminding them of their former condition of unrighteousness, and he's using this pedagogical function of the law, which is to do this. It is to give us a knowledge of our sin and our misery and to lead us to acknowledge the grace of God in Christ toward us. And that's what Paul is doing in verses 9 through 10. And then he comes to verse 11, and what he does is John Calvin shows that the greater misery that is to be acknowledged, the greater, listen, the greater the, the magnitude and kindness of God's grace shines forth. And so you have this contrast in verses 9 and 10 with verse 11. And verses 9 and 10 shine forth the magnitude of the grace of God in converting unrighteous people. And so this brings us to two final questions regarding the kingdom of God in verses 9 through 11. And here's the, here are the last two questions. If the unrighteous cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and if all of us are the unrighteous, who can inherit the kingdom and how? Paul answers those questions in verse 11. The good news is that Paul's warning from the law in verses 9 and 10 is not the final word on the matter. He, he, he brings his first argument to this climactic conclusion and in this amazing swift change from law and judgment, he gives one of the greatest hope-filled, life-giving, powerful, most important theological statements in the book of 1 Corinthians, perhaps the whole New Testament, in verse 11. And this is what he says. He says to them, he reminds the Corinthians and affirms them of their conversion and of their new status as citizens in God's kingdom. He says, and such were some of you, verses 9 and 10. This is what you used to be. But you were washed. But you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul is contrasting their past with their present. He says, you once were, but now you are. Verses 9 and 10, this is what you were. Verse 11, this is who you are now by the grace of God in Christ and the Holy Spirit. He brings in the whole trinity to the spiritual transformation of an unrighteous person. And he says that some of you Corinthians, not all, but some of you prior to your conversion were once sexually immoral. You were once idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. You were once excluded from the kingdom of God. But now, having been granted life through Christ by the Holy Spirit, you are a new creation. You are a new citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, there's just hardly more hope-giving words than all the Scripture than this. And recounting these Corinthians' remarkable spiritual transformation, Paul lists three verbs in verse 11. And the three verbs are actually the focus of verses 9 through 11, because this is what Paul wants us to get to. 
These three verbs that we're going to look at this morning show what it looks like for Christ to exercise his kingly power in his kingdom through the scepter of his gospel in order to grant the unrighteous an inheritance in his kingdom. What does it look like for Jesus to rule over men as king? Verse 11 tells us. Verse 11 shows us his gracious authority. It sets forth the Lord's kindness and the magnitude of his grace shines forth. And these three verbs have great power, great force, and great hope for sinners. All three verbs direct our attention to the gracious action of the triune God. The gracious actions of the triune God with respect to how unrighteous people inherit the kingdom. And so let's take a closer look at these three verbs that Paul uses to describe the Corinthian spiritual transformation. Look at the first verb. Look at verse 11. He says, but you were washed. You were washed. What is he referring to? In describing their spiritual transformation, Paul first deals with the doctrine of regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration. Question, how can the unrighteous come to inherit the kingdom of God? The answer is regeneration. Regeneration is how an unrighteous person inherits the kingdom of God. It is how an unrighteous sinner enters the kingdom of God. Jesus, for example, taught Nicodemus that the spiritual rebirth is indispensable to seeing and entering the kingdom of God. Listen to what Jesus told Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, he said... Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see enter the kingdom of God. Jesus in verse 5 says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Regeneration is the entry point to the kingdom of God. It highlights this fact that entrance into the kingdom of God is solely based on grace. Why? Because look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6. In verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6, Paul reveals the unrighteousness of the Corinthians, which underscores their need for grace. There is nothing in verses 9 and 10 that tells us that the Corinthians possess any type of righteousness or merit that would qualify them to have entrance into the kingdom of God. Nothing. Paul says they were excluded from the kingdom of God. In chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians, Paul describes it like this. He says that those who are excluded from the kingdom of God are dead in trespasses and sins. So here's the question. How can a person who is spiritually dead and morally defiled inherit the kingdom of God? Paul's answer first is this, is that the glory of the gospel is that God in his great grace reaches down to the lowest depths of human need and depravity and moral defilement and meets all the requirements necessary to bring an unrighteous sinner into his kingdom. He washes them. This radical change cannot be explained or attributed to any human resources or merit. 
Obviously, in verses 9 and 10, the Corinthians had no merit whatsoever, no spiritual resources, morally defiled, excluded from the kingdom of God. And so Paul says it is by grace alone, through regeneration, that we become members of the kingdom of God and partakers of the king's blessings in his kingdom. Now look at the word inherit in verse 9 and verse 10. It's really important. As I said, Paul uses this word twice in verses 9 and 10. And the reason this is important is because the word inherit underscores, further underscores the need for grace. The kingdom of God is not merited. It's not like a worker earning a wage. It is an inheritance bestowed freely upon a son by a gracious father. And this, Calvin points out, draws us to the great privilege of adoption. All citizens are adopted sons by the father, which excels and magnifies the grace and kindness of God, adopting estranged orphans who are unrighteous and making them sons in his kingdom. And so Paul is underscoring inheritance, adoption. Now, there are two aspects from how you're you supposed to understand regeneration. I'm just going to quickly go through this because this has everything to do with your daily life in pursuit of sanctification. So just listen and get the doctrine because without the doctrine, there is no practice. So there are two aspects to the doctrine of regeneration. First, there is recreation. Second, there is purification. First, there is recreation and this doctrine. In recreation, the Holy Spirit, through the announcement of the gospel, sovereignly and graciously raises to life in Christ those who are spiritually dead. It's Ephesians chapter 2, which we read this morning when we pronounced this good news to you. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, God has made alive and raised you up with Christ. And so in short, what the Holy Spirit does in regeneration is he creates newness of life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So that's recreation. He literally creates out of nothing something new. Second, regeneration entails purification. In regeneration, the Holy Spirit purges and washes away the defilements of our hearts because of our unrighteousness. Paul most likely begins with this emphasis in chapter 6 when he says, but you were washed because in the context, he is addressing sexual sin that is most defiling of body and spirit. And because he says that nothing unrighteous or unclean will enter God's kingdom, it is necessary for the unrighteous to be spiritually cleansed and made fit by the king himself to have entrance into the kingdom. And so Paul uses this verb, you are washed, which stresses the inward removal of dirt, the inward washing of filth. And the filth that they were washed from is verses 9 and 10. This ungodly lifestyle that was a part of their pagan past growing up in Corinth. 
Paul says, the Holy Spirit has spiritually cleansed you from the filth of your former sins. He has graciously purged away the defilement of your hearts. This is how the Holy Spirit makes an unrighteous person fit for entering and inheriting the kingdom of God. Jesus makes the same point to Nicodemus when he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus talking about? He's simply referring Nicodemus, which Nicodemus should have known as a teacher of the law. He's referring Nicodemus back to Ezekiel 36. I want you to turn back to Ezekiel 36 very briefly, and let's look at verses 25 and 26, and then verse 27 in just a moment. In Ezekiel 36, Jesus, from John chapter 3, is the the Old Testament parallel of his teaching connecting water and spirit comes from Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel is prophesying of the new covenant to come, the work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, teaching the doctrine of regeneration. And this is what Ezekiel the prophet prophesies. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. God, listen to what God promises to do. This is all grace. This is I am among you as one who serves. This is God's gracious actions to you in Christ, making you fit to be a citizen of his kingdom. This is how he lets you inherit the kingdom of God. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In regeneration, we are a holy passive. It is a complete, gracious, sovereign work of the Holy Spirit working through the gospel. And this is what God does for the unrighteous. This is remarkably good news. Some back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 see in Paul's word an allusion to baptism. Now, certainly baptism serves as a sign and seal of regeneration, but it does not effect it. Paul says that this washing was done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, if Paul has baptism in mind of this washing, because what Paul is teaching, if he's alluding to baptism, is this. He's teaching believers how to make proper use of their baptism and their daily life pursuing sanctification. You don't just get baptized one time in your life and then forget about it. You use it every single day of your life to pursue holiness. And so what Paul, if he is alluding to baptism here, is teaching is that baptism is a powerful, visible sign and seal, which means it's a guarantee. You see it, you experience it, it is a guarantee. It's like a neon neon light flashing Your filth and your shame is washed away. So what is Paul's point? Here's his point. Because the Corinthians have been washed, they must no longer disgrace themselves with new defilements of sexual sin. That's his point. And his point is also is this. If you defile yourself and you become ashamed, what do people not want to do When they're ashamed, Adam and Eve, you do not want to be totally naked, exposed before the living God who is holy and righteous because you're ashamed of your filth and your defilement. And so what does God, the Holy Spirit, assure you of? You don't have to be ashamed if you're a believer because your shame has been washed away. You are clean. 
You have been brought to life by the Holy Spirit. All the defilement of filth of your past sin or your present failure as a Christian is washed away, and you don't have to be afraid of God. You are clean. Use your baptism to continually guarantee this washing truth of the gospel for your life, and then you'll pursue holiness. But until you come to understand this doctrinal truth of regeneration, you will not pursue holiness. Sexual sin leaves a person defiled, naked, open, and ashamed before God and people. So what does God do for those people who are suffering in their shame, openly exposed before the world to see? This is what he does in his kingdom. He exercises the scepter of his gospel through the Holy Spirit, and he washes you. He cleanses you from all your defilement, gives you a new nature that is pure and undefiled, and gives you newness of life so that now you can go for the first time in your life and obey. Going back to Ezekiel 36 and verse 27, Ezekiel says this. He says, after God has cleansed the sinner, verse 25, after he has recreated a new heart, taken out the heart of stone, given a heart of flesh, recreated a new heart, purified and recreated, Listen to verse 27. After he is purified and recreated, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What is Paul teaching us about the doctrine of regeneration in terms of that's application to sexual purity? Listen carefully. Regeneration, Paul says, is the basis of all change in your heart and life. You have been cleansed and you have been brought to life and given a new heart that Paul says, that Ezekiel says, and Paul says, and Jesus in John 3 says, that the Holy Spirit is now causing you to be careful to keep the rules, the laws of the king. This is the basis of all change in heart and life. You have no excuse now, Corinthians. You have been washed. You have been brought to life. You have been given a new spirit. You've been made new creations by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. And now your heart wants to carefully obey and follow the laws of the kingdom of God. This is the root. Regeneration is the root of all true obedience and the pursuit and basis for holiness in our life. And so you use your baptism to remind you to go back to this regenerating truth of God. I've been washed. I've been recreated. I've been purified. I've been granted the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm a new creation in Christ. I have been raised from the waters to walk in newness of life. This is who I am. Now we're going to go live it. Second, in describing their conversion, Paul deals with the doctrine of definitive sanctification. Look at verse 11. He says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. Through the preaching of the gospel, the Corinthians received the gift of regeneration and the gift of sanctification. But what Paul has in mind here is this, is not the process of sanctification, That is, slowly but surely through agony and failure and defeat with a few victories thrown in, becoming like Jesus. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about definitive sanctification, which is this. By the electing grace of God, 
God has chosen to set apart his people from their former state of sin and make them saints, make them holy so that they can be used for holy purposes in his kingdom. That's definitive sanctification. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God that it is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. So what is Paul's point to direct these believers who are failing in the area of sexual purity? What is his point to get them to pursue holiness? Here's his point. It's very simple. Because you have been set apart, sanctified by God, to be holy and used for holy purposes, Stop polluting yourself again with unholy purposes because this is not who you are. His point's very simple. Here's his point. If regeneration is the basis of all change in heart and life, definitive sanctification is the purpose for that change. You have been set apart by God for himself to be saints, to be used in his kingdom for holy purposes, definitive sanctification. And you've been given a new heart that wants to respond to the king's laws because you've been washed from all your defilement. So now be who you are. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called Set Apart, Entering the Kingdom of God, Part 1. More from the Do You Not Know series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.